one and a half hours. <laughs> so one of the things that um, we've talked about, I think before, I think in this one, but this is more about communications. When it goes back and forth to providers, for, mainly from us in public safety, and how we should and should not talk to providers, which can be kind of hard, but I think you know some of it is how to establish these communication techniques with them, where we're not you know shutting down doors because we ask questions about that we can't, and it, it makes them raise flags because of the HIPAA law. So I don't know if um, Niels, if you kind of want to discuss what HIPAA is or how and why you guys are so frightened by it. Yes, Matt, I would like to do that. Thank you, Frank, for that. Why and why do you shake when I mention it? <laughs> So, and please, everybody chime in at the table and in the network. So, HIPAA has, um, it's about health insurance. It's the Health Insurance Portability and something act. Accountability. Accountability Act. Thank you. And so, that's why it was first passed. It was uh, under health insurance to make sure that electronic information is transferred in a um, secure manner. Uh, on top of that, they added a lot of... Um, you know, making sure that you comply with all the confidentiality. And so that's what everybody has to live for, um, live for, live by. <laughs> and it, yeah, let me think, it's, a, it's an interesting law. It's, I don't think of, there's been any major court cases about it, unless you know of any. Um, so it really hasn't been adjudicated at all. There's no case law around it. It's mostly just fear. Um, and people getting fired. A lot of people get fired. Mm -hmm. So, like, if I, like, well, do you know have a story for firing? Uh, no story for firing. Just lots and lots of uh, fees, because okay. a HIPAA violation actually results in a like a tremendous fee for the hospital system or the the private physician. You know, if if, if they're at fault, Interesting. thousands of dollars. That's good. Tens of thousands of dollars. That's why we're so fearful. <laughs> That's why we're so fearful. Can you give an example of what would what would be a catalyst for a fee being imposed? Sure. So say, you know, um, a person calls PES and I don't have the release to speak with them. The patient does not give me permission. And I tell them something about the patient, even if they're there. And who's PES? Uh, Psychiatric Emergency Services. So oh. if somebody calls me at work, and says even, you know, is, is Joe Smith there? And I say yes. Uh -huh. And that person hasn't permitted me to, to tell that person that they're there. That's That could be a HIPAA violation. Now, would, would Smith have to complain against you? Yes. And oh. he, he would have the ability to. If I released some information, even if he was there in PES, that could be a HIPAA. How does that apply to pharmacies as far as a pharmacist dispensing medication? Um, Same thing. I'm not following. What do you What do you mean? Well, let's say a pharmacist reveals that he's giving X person uh, 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 psychotropic medication. Mm -hmm. Does HIPAA apply there? You know, I'm not sure. I because I don't know what what laws the pharmacists have to to abide by. But you know, for me, if I'm ever calling a pharmacy to confirm medications, sometimes depending on the pharmacy, they'll request a release of information just so that they know that the patient has given me permission to call. Okay. Oftentimes with larger national facilities, they don't care or don't have the time to do it and they'll just, they'll read off what they've, what somebody's been prescribed. Okay. But we're talking about more, like more sensitive things often, or often result in a HIPAA violation. Okay. Yeah. So, but that's a specific, that's a one, that's a small example and you could be fine for HIPAA violation just for that. So if you ever call PES and are asking about a patient and you get that I can't confirm or deny, that's why. Okay. Okay. 
The pharmacy is a good question. We should follow up on that. I think they're bound by that too. I don't think they can yeah. give out information. Are we they're part of the the treatment the team? Are we going to go over when they're not bound by now? Yes. That might be the most important thing. Segue. <laughs> okay. It's a great segue. Um, so that's that's what HIPAA is. We have to uh, have confidentiality. So when you're, it's not that you're not bound by it. But that you are, there are exceptions to uh, exceptions to confidentiality, and the it's the it, the exceptions are immediate danger. So if someone comes to the ER um, and they're bleeding or something, and you need to know something right away about this person, you can call up the mother or brother or whomever and say, you know, what's their blood type, for example, um, and they. Because he's in the hospital, he got hit by a car. HIPAA is kind of out the window in emergency situations. Um, and that also applies then to non-medical emergency situations, which I shouldn't say non-medical, but psychiatric. So if someone is threatening to kill themselves or others, HIPAA doesn't really, it's not that it doesn't apply, it, that you can, you, there are exceptions to it. And Matt pulled up the, the, the um, HHS website that has that lists all the exceptions but if someone's in the emergency room and I'm trying to decide whether to admit them or not and they're suicidal but I don't know for sure I can call family members and say so-and-so is in the ER and I'm worried about them do you can you tell me something about them you know are they are they acting suicidal are you you reveal the minimum amount of information necessary to deal with the danger at hand. Does that make sense? Um, so those are the main ones. And in fact, if, they're, if, if one of your clients says that they are gonna hurt or kill somebody and you're a therapist, you're in psychotherapy, whatever, basically all the state laws and or case law says that you gotta tell the police. So you, ha you have to, there's very few situations where you kind of have to break it against the will of the person and that's one of the few of only that i can think of so you're in therapy with me you tell me you're going to kill somebody i tell the authorities i'm worried about this person can you have them evaluate um otherwise you try to get the, the other exceptions to the confidentiality is you get a written document saying signed by you saying yes i want you to talk to this person and that person and all these people and then i can talk to them um, where it gets a little bit muddier and controversial is these other um, provisions here. So a police officer, the, okay. If a police officer approaches a, a healthcare worker and says there's a missing person and I'm in the middle of an investigation, they should be able to give them information whether they're in the hospital or not. Um, often they don't. If there's, if there's any kind of investigation, any kind of criminal or otherwise investigation, the, the hospital should be able to give those minimum amount of information to help the investigation. And just on that one, especially with what Dr. Martin was saying, if you're looking for someone if they're in the hospital, you should call the main hospital number or the administration office. Because if you call the mental health center and they admit to a patient being there, then they are, then they are pretty much breaking hip in the sense of saying this patient is a mental health patient. And so you have to look at it as very generalized. If your goal for that specific is just as someone in a, in a hospital setting, call the general 
office like admin line for that. Does it, sir, I have a question. Yeah. What you were just saying, is that written into HIPAA in an investigation? Well, it's written here. Okay, let's say. Um, so to respond, you're allowed, okay. This is HIPAA covered entity may disclose, so it's may, doesn't right. mean that right. they must. Right. May disclose information to law enforcement about individuals without their consent. And here's one of the bullets. This is from the federal government. Mm -hmm. To respond to a request for personal health information for purposes of identifying or locating a suspect, fugitive, or witness, material witness, or missing person. But the information must be limited to basic demographic and health information about that person. So may, I think, is important because, for example, at Presbyterian, where I work, mm -hmm. they said last week that if you uh, request a do not announce order for yourself, that means that um, you're asking that nobody who calls in be alerted to the fact that you're in the hospital, mm -hmm. that that also, they won't, they also will not tell law enforcement that you're there. Mm, that's ridiculous. Because those are the people who would know to do it. <laughs> it's, actually, it's interesting because we had a patient admitted to our unit recently and the FBI was searching for them. And so the FBI called and we have this same conversation. Like, do we disclose this patient wasn't really capable at the time of saying whether or not we could allow um you know to disclose what that he that he was on the unit um and you know the, the overall answer from us from risk was that if the fbi if a national agency is asking we're not going to get in the way of you know we're going to let them know that that person's there and it turned out there there had been an investigation going on for five years with this person but i think it's i mean it's it's a tricky situation and i think for facility facilities probably going to have different takes on it totally i think sure. it's a totally tricky one because while I can understand from the perspective of law enforcement, this is Dan Duhigg, um, the importance of finding that person. I think as as healthcare providers, we have to be very clear in what our role is in that situation, and our role is not law enforcement. And if and if we get confused about our role, then that can affect the quality of care that we we can give to that patient, right? Yeah. So so we have to be in one role or the other, I think. And and in that case. Our role is to kind of serve the best health interests of that patient and and nothing else. And so there is a there is a tension, there's a conflict, mm -hmm. if you will, between the the goals of these of law enforcement versus healthcare in that case. I think there are a lot of cases case, where so we yeah. can work together. Yeah, absolutely. But in that one, if the patient requests it especially, um, I think, but know, it's interesting because we've had this before with the federal government, right. and usually the attendings say, "Oh, it's the feds, so give it to them." But if it's APD, it's the same thing. Right. Oh, and, and it's a double standard. It's it is. I think too with this specific case, there were threats made to other people over a period of time, and so this it became because it was a federal agency, it was a national security issue. Um, but you know, if that had that same behavior had been noted by APD, I, I I think I don't know what my boss would have done, but I based on their reasoning, they would have still let APS know about it. I mean APD. And I think one of the things that Doctor Duhigg was saying, and we actually have this as a bullet point for one thing, and this mainly comes to the missing persons kind of cases, because working with missing persons, they get very frustrated on this, and it's about the roles of when they're in the hospital, you know, the, the doctor or the any professional staff there, their role is for that person's health and well-being, and so sometimes I think when someone gets a call from law enforcement, the natural assumption is we're investigating a crime, or right. we're doing an investigation. 
And so one of the biggest kind of tips I can tell you guys is explain the reason why you're calling and explain it's not criminal. So if, if you are calling about a missing person, start off by explaining who you are and the reason for it, because it just comes across odd that law enforcement's calling. And so if someone is entered into a national database, and the whole point is to, bless you, <laughs> is to get them out of the database, explain that. Hey, they're not in trouble, they're missing, but you know we have to investigate missing persons because we're worried about you know health and safe well-being of this person and you know if they're in a safe facility the hospital then they're good you know we won't we'll put our resources somewhere else and so kind of explaining that can sometimes help humanize that and so someone doesn't feel like they're going to violate hipaa because it's not releasing something criminal nature mm -hmm. and you would and a big one that i always tell the missing persons don't ask where in the hospital they are don't ask, you know, are they at the mental health center, are they at the cancer center, or whatever the specialty of that place is. Just generally ask, like, I need to know if this person is safe. And are they safe in your in somewhere in your guys's you know, property facility? Yes or no? Yes. Okay, good. Thank you. I'll take them out. And just basic information. Don't ask why they're there. Well, take them take out. Them off the <laughs> Not like, I'm going to set up a sniper post across the street. But, you know. You just basic information. The moment you ask anything about why are they there, you're just going to shut the door and you're going to burn the bridges that, that you start establishing on that. And just to make it more complicated, UNM uh, and APD are trying to work out this memorandum of understanding so that we can share some information. And one of the things that we proposed, we being, I guess, mostly APD, proposed putting in there is this bullet. This is also from the federal government. that. The, the UNM will be able to give information to, quote, comply with a court order or court-ordered warrant, a subpoena or summons issued by a judicial officer, or an administrative request from law enforcement official. That's all it says, and the, the request must be in writing, um, and it must be relevant material, limited in scope, and, and de-identified information cannot be used, meaning we can't, you have to know it's that specific person. And so that would open up a lot of doors. If we wrote something down and said, here, we need to know about patient X, we're worried about his health and safety, can you give us this one bit of information? I think that could go a long way to helping all of our patients. But when you get lawyers involved with all this, it goes very slowly, if at all. <laughs> Almost backwards. Any questions about HIPAA before we move to the next part of this talk? So what, what reasons can you guys violate HIPAA when it comes to not violating not HIPAA? Violent. Can you guys release information? And that goes right to it. Don't call someone like, hey, I need to know if you violate HIPAA. That's probably a bad, <laughs> bad way to start a conversation. But what are the exceptions then? Like an example that, that you feel, that any of you guys would feel comfortable, that you're like, oh, at this point, I need to tell law enforcement this. Or if law enforcement's asking, I feel comfortable sharing this information. What would be a situation like that? Well, I think what Dr. So it's uh, Nancy Martin. So Dr. Rosenbaum kind of answered that in in some way, and and, that, and that's the um, if the person's at risk of harm to self or others, and it becomes a little bit more complicated when there's a child involved. Um, but you know, if if say we get some information from a patient who's in PES and they're threatening to kill a spouse in New Mexico. Um, <clears throat> And again, it varies from state to state, but there's these uh, these these laws, the duty to warn, duty to protect laws, so Tarasoff 1 and 2 that come up, and there are lots of standards per state, lots of cases that have come up and, and created this uh, 
um, this background, but um, this essentially if somebody's you know threatening to kill another person, we you know we have reason to believe they have firearms in the home, or um, and they say like, oh, you can't say that to anybody. That's a reason for us to to be concerned. And there are there's there are cases cases in New Mexico that support that. Now, where I trained in Georgia, there there is no Tarasov one and two in Georgia. Yeah. There's the only I thought state. thought it was federal. Nope, state by state. And so there have been oh, three cases, actually. Practice. Yeah, it's Supreme it's Court, standard of practice, it's... but there have been cases that have uh, actually gone against the psychiatrists and the psychologists when they've tried to protect other people. There was actually a police officer who was struggling with depression and anxiety and had a, a divorce, and there were some issues. He he told his um, police-appointed psychologist that he was thinking about shooting multiple people in his unit. The psychologist then told the supervisor, and this man lost his job. The man turned around and sued successfully. Wow! Um, and in one of the significant sum of money because Steve. there's no established wow. case case law in Georgia. So it is a state to state base, but in New Mexico, it would be and and federally, it would we it would it's best practice to to warn um, to the duty to warn and protect, you know. But um, yeah, it's complicated. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So so it's kind of about how you justify Dan Duhigg here. So like for example, if if somebody from CIU was asking me about a patient. So based on what I know of the CIU, my assumption automatically is going to be that you're acting in this patient's best interests. And specifically, you're acting in their mental health best interests. So in my mind, you are part of the treatment team. And that is so so HIPAA exceptions are if you're if you're really communicating within the treatment team. And it didn't have, I think, law enforcement in mind when it wrote this or when they wrote this. But I think I think that we that is how we should consider um, units like CIU, people who are acting in the best health interests of the patient. Right. As opposed to I have a warrant for this person's arrest. That, you know, they committed a crime and I want to take them in. That is different. That's acting in society's best interests. And I probably would not necessarily release in that case. I have a question then, uh, Lawrence Major with APD. So if you're if you're treating someone at the hospital, say you happen to look on the on this TV screen and it's got wanted for murder or something like that, and you see your patients <laughs> now, and I know this is hypothetical, but it's also could possibly happen. happen. What do you, what, I mean? You you have a duty to to treat them, but. You also have a duty to protect everybody in your surrounding as well, because, mm -hmm. I mean, then you become at risk as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I'm, I don't. I have a question. Mm -hmm. Would would you would you not? Can you? Can you not? Should you? Should you? Not? What report them? We'll call yeah. the number on the TV screen. That's <laughs> a lot. There. You yeah. for your like word. legally versus ethically <laughs> versus yourself moral. Not the <laughs> Um, so, I, so Nancy Martin, I can try and take this one. Um, so, I, hopefully, in my assessment, that sort of information is coming out and not coming to me through a TV. Um, now, the official, you know, the official answer to it is that we're not supposed to be looking on mugshots.com as part right. of our evaluation, right? But that's all public information. So, if something's coming to us via television, which you know we don't have that set up in PES, but if we're reading something online or 
um, you know, we, it, we come to know some knowledge about the patient. To me, that's just more of more clinical information that will maybe weigh, that it'll weigh into my balance of, is this person safe to leave? Because that's the question I'm asking myself every time I'm evaluating a patient is, may I safely discharge this patient? And if it, if that, that balance goes from, I'm not sure, I don't know what's going on. I can't, I haven't talked to family. I don't know what's going on with this person. The safest thing is always to admit. And so that's how we, that's how we handle it. But in and that then, scenario, would you let the law enforcement know he's there? So, so for what purpose though, right? So if I'm going to discharge that patient and I feel comfortable with that, then the hospital tells me I'm not supposed to, I'm not supposed to let law enforcement. That's not a, that's not a valid discharge plan, discharge to APD. Right? Even though he's got a, you know, that he's wanted in connection with the murder. If that happened, I might be admitting him. That's what I'm saying is like, if, if I'm not sure about all of these circumstances around discharge, for me, it takes a lot more work for me to discharge somebody versus admit somebody. But if you admit him at some point, do you let law enforcement know he's there? Yeah, I, I would I would imagine that. That's not my area of okay. expertise, but I would imagine no. they would. <laughs> um, I have another. It's, it's a violation of HIPAA. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a violation of our role. What, what I've done in situations like this, um, I can't think of any time it worked is try to encourage that person to either give us permission or to, to make the call themselves, right? So that, that they can do that. They can give us permission to call, that's fine. Or they can make that call themselves and we could encourage them to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but again, our job is not police in that, in that role. It's not law enforcement. So to call that is to violate the trust of everybody, not just that person, right? Because if people don't feel like coming to see us is safe because we might turn them in for whatever, whether, whether earned or not, um, then that hurts our ability to help people. Rob, the Buck APD, I, I would imagine, of course, that a lot of it's situational. I mean, if you have somebody that you feel is a, is a profound risk, a terrorist, a suspected terrorist, for example, and then, you know, I would think it would be, you know, if you feel that their actions, and we've already talked about that, could legitimately endanger others in this state in any rate, I think you would be, you know, feel a personal, com uh, yeah. you know, compelled that, to say that would be hard. That would but, be hard. but I think it's situational, you know, you got a serial shoplifter. I mean, are you going to call police? I mean, is that really a public safety issue? No. Right. Do you have somebody that you feel you go home at night thinking, Jesus, guys could go up and shoot up the mall. Right. You know, so I, I think a lot of it's probably situational even with you guys even. And, right. and, it's, 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 and it's not a personal choice. It's something that's dictated to you by the federal government via HIPAA, which makes you guys, you liable. And I don't, I don't know if you're personally liable or if that would be vicarious liability that would be picked up by the hospital. But you say a lot of yeah. people get fired. Say it's violated. both. I oh, absolutely. Both. I, think, I think they're both covered. Yeah. You know, that the... the in training and residency, there were a couple of times where we called the Secret Service uh, because of threats that people made. And I think in those cases, because we had hospitalized the people, we weren't actually, let's say, justified in doing so. But again, it was a situation, like you say, where it seemed like a credible threat. This seemed like a big enough deal. Um, and so we did it. And, you know, and, and Secret Service responded. Um, so interesting. Um, I have another, can I run a little scenario by you then? Yeah. And this happened here where uh, officers are dispatched. It's a young girl, like 15, 16 years old. And what they, some of the information they get is that the girl tried to hang herself and she wasn't successful. 
but she has bruising around her neck and face. And so there's a question as to whether it's child abuse as well. So they take her to a, uh, one of the hospitals here. And when the officers dispatch there, they won't say whether the girl's there. And she's like, well, the officers, I have to investigate this to see if it's if it's a child abuse case. Mm -hmm. And they're saying the only way you could see this person if they're here is if their parents were with them mm -hmm. and sign a release. And she's, you know, the officers, I can't bring the parents here and have them because they're suspects if the... So that was kind of a roundabout that what do you do in that case? Because if it turns out that it is child abuse, you weren't able to investigate it and protect the child from the parents, but you guys have a duty to protect her confidentiality because she's there. How? So I don't see why her parents would have to be present. <clears throat> that with the doctor there said. So I think that doctor was misinformed about the law. Okay. You guys don't have to have a parent's permission to talk to a minor, right? Right. So not true. Um, that's one thing. You know, the other thing is, so is that always it's, it's about, so some investigations could also be done after she left the hospital, right? right. Now the, the issue here was, would be that we want that information prior to a discharge plan. Yes. Right. That would involve possibly discharging her to well, somebody who harmed her. Right. And actually then child protective services would get involved right. and she wouldn't go back. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And but, it but, ended up clearing itself up because one of the other nurses who I'd worked with before. And who shall remain nameless. Yeah. Who shall remain nameless <laughs> said, okay, no, that this isn't, this isn't right. part of HIPAA. She's investigating a crime and this girl's safety is at right. jeopardy. Right. Cause you already know that she's there, et cetera. Right. So um, now the other, this, and these are other exceptions. I'm sorry. I came late. So I don't know if, if this was talked about, but, but we report suspected child abuse right. and that is an exception. So, um, so in situations like this, there, the healthcare team has a duty to report as well. And they would be able to come to the hospital and investigate it. Well, uh, we're just talking about, they have a duty to report. Where the investigation occurs, I don't know the laws that mm -hmm. pertain to that. But and they could certainly investigate, like, the the parents' home. They could, you know, they could start that investigation. But they couldn't do, do an interview at the hospital. Unless, well, if she gave, if the kid gave consent, um, I think they could. This this whole idea of parents being present was a little weird. Yeah. And in the state of New Mexico, <laughs> interestingly, um, a 14-year-old can do a lot. At age mm -hmm. 14... You can consent to medications. You can get the morning after pill. You can sign yourself into a psychiatric hospital. You can do a lot at age 14 that you can't elsewhere in the country. Here. Psych medication. Psych medication. Well, and, yeah. and family planning. Yeah. Yeah. Should so, that yeah. so Morgan Franklin brought up a, a comment on the <clears throat> said, we can arrest anyone who obstructs us from investigating child abuse, schools, hospitals, or parents. I think one of the things, yeah, start arresting everybody. It would have been a doctor. But I think one of the things that might have come up too, and I don't know if, I mean, this is just me projecting, but if you as a provider get someone like that's inside, that's a child, and from your guys' interview and clinical assessment, you do think, you believe that it was in fact a suicide attempt. You're like, no, this is consistent with, and if someone's asking for child abuse, that they think it's child abuse. And you don't agree with that? Would that be a reason, maybe, that then they wouldn't allow law enforcement interaction? Because it might seem like an unreasonable request. Um, 
It's, I mean, they could certainly, I think, argue that grounds. Mm -hmm. However, I take issue with the statement that this started out with because we're talking about state versus federal law here. Mm -hmm. So, so if HIPAA protects that person, that will trump any law that allows you to make an arrest that's made by the state. One more time. HIPAA is federal law. Right. So if HIPAA is cited in, in preventing you from having access to a patient, that trumps your ability to so arrest somebody who is obstructing your investigation. It would be that would be determined in court. Yeah. Because someone would say, my argument as law enforcement would say, your interpretation of HIPAA is wrong. Therefore you are violating it because you have the duty that you may report this and you are choosing not to. Therefore, you are choosing to break the state law. So that's how they would argue that in court. That's why law enforcement would take someone, be it right or wrong. And then the, the provider would say, I was going off from a federal law, which should trump this. And law enforcement locally would have to argue, you were misinterpreting that. Or we believe the state of New Mexico believes you were misinterpreting that. That would be a gigantic cluster. Let's do it. Almost <laughs> <laughs> happened. That would be a gigantic, <laughs> gigantic cluster. Like you might beat the rapper, not made. the ride. <laughs> if someone actually ever did that, it'd be interesting. But you know, a lot of this that you guys are bringing up it, it are, would be short lived. Yeah, I mean, there's a long history of federal law trumping yeah. state lines. It would be interesting. I mean, it, it, would, it would just cause a lot of problems and yeah. still be resolved. In It'd make it worse. Law. It would make the interaction much worse. Yeah, it would. Right. Because one of the the things that that I feel like just from, from this and what Lawrence actually brought up, um, one big thing is to try to make those connections at the hospital. And even Dr. Duhigg brought this up about the CIU team. One of the things that Niels brought up about this MOU with UNM was the state law and, and HIPAA talks about a medical treatment team, medical provider team, it, that, that they can share information. It doesn't say that this is licensed individuals. It doesn't say like, licensed master work like social workers and above it just says treatment teams and so and on that the the definition were were a treatment, we're not treatment right but it was about our mental health providers or yeah. something on it but it didn't mention treatment in it it just said someone that takes additional training in this and so that was one of the arguments that we had is if if we could get additional training that UNM felt was adequate you know and that we followed the same procedures and as long as it wasn't for criminal investigation matters if it really was for getting someone's services then we should be able to openly talk about what treatment options we should look for what uh, intervention strategies we should have but until that gets in place the one of the best things to do is your human connection and so every time that you either take someone to the hospital take that time to let the hospital know or that uh, staff know that you're not there for criminal intent you know hey i'm out here and explain why it doesn't meet the criminal um, level because I think that's a big misconception like hey I'm turning this person off because he's making threats to his neighbor or he's threatening his mom his loved one this and that and right away it seems like a lot of people think well why don't you guys arrest them why don't you do this and I get where that miscommunication comes from because that's what you assume happens if you're not in law enforcement you know you assume that it's illegal to make these threats against people and that if the cops are there that person should be in jail and so sometimes I think it's the same thing if someone calls us and is like, hey, I called you out here because you need to arrest this person. You know, right away, we're like, I'm going to arrest that person. You know, we automatically put up that barrier. Like, screw you. You don't know my job. And it's kind of the same way. So just going in there and explaining, hey, I was out with this person, and this is the reason why it doesn't fit, you know, criminal justice or, or going to jail. This is it. But I'm worried about this person because I think they might be having a mental health thing. 
don't give a diagnosis. Don't say, I think this person has schizophrenia because it's the same thing of someone else telling you what to do with your job, but explaining that, that you're there for that person, kind of bringing it back to like person centered. So I'm out here because, you know, Mr. Smith is doing this and I'm really concerned about his well-being. And it bridges some of those gaps and it's more towards the, the mindset of the medical providers. But making those connections, like Lawrence said, is then how you get through some of these odd cases that come up. Um, we really strive hard for that. And there was a guy that was on, that was showing up on TV a lot for voyeurism charges. So he was going around and he was filming a bunch of people in these uh, department stores. And no one could find him, no one could find him. And he had checked himself into one of the hospitals and we got a call right away from the hospital staff saying, hey, I can't tell you, you know, you can't say how you know this, but you can, you know, I'm just telling you guys that they're here. And so we had to work with the hospital and with staff to figure out how we could successfully go to the hospital and, and get the person in custody, you know, make sure that it wasn't a bunch of uniforms and things like that. But we successfully got the person in custody and, you know, the hospital staff that, that called, you know, they were concerned that this person was going to be a predator towards the other patients and maybe that could have helped them justify it but i don't think that would have happened if we didn't work so hard on on building that relationship that person-to-person relationship with with these uh co-workers we're all there for the same goal you know it's to better help that person but i think there's a lot of stigmas associated with law enforcement where you know people think we're just there to arrest people we're just there you know we don't like people that are mentally ill if you watch the news that's what it seems like and so we have to break down those stigmas. We act actively as law enforcement have to have to say, look, you're not bad people. We're not just out there to kill people with mental illness. And it sucks, but it's just where we are right now in, in our society. But, I mean, I know Lawrence has gotten a lot of calls and information from uh, providers and, and hospital staff about people. I know I have. We make a point that if we get it, we don't document that anywhere, and that I cannot push enough. Do not write in a police report, you know, Jane Doe, the intake nurse at Caseman, told me the following. <laughs> you know, don't document any of that stuff. We keep it as though it's like uh, confidential informants. We just say, reliable source told us this person is experiencing this, and treatment options should be looked at as, you know, AOT, you know, ACT, whatever. We'll, we'll just kind of put it out there. And, and going back to one of the release things that – just to tie this up and, and back to the first one about what we can release to law enforcement or, or medical providers can, and to ask you guys about this as well, is about certificates for evaluation. So that is one way where they are also releasing medical information to law enforcement because of uh, uh, danger to themselves or others, because you know right away that that person has a diagnosis that's mental health. So you may not know what the diagnosis is, but that is a provider telling you this person has a mental illness of some sort. So they're, 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 you know, are able to, to uh, bypass some of the HIPAA restrictions then. What kind of information can you guys share, though, on it? The la- I mean, one other thing that I think everybody knows but it's worth repeating is if you call the hospital and you, let's say you suspect or know that somebody's there, you can tell them anything. So a lot of people will ans- answer the phone from a healthcare provider the, the healthcare provider will answer and say, oh, I can't tell you if they're here or not, and I'm not going to listen to this. But that's not really the case. A good provider will listen. Like, gosh, I'm really sorry. I can't even tell you by law whether they're here or not, but I'm more than willing to listen because if they happen to be here, that's good information. Tell me what you know. 
So you can always tell them whatever you want. And they sh if they're shutting you down, it's just, it's either rude or that person's not there and they, they're rushed. I, I've had cases, in fact, where patients have come in in the circumstances of their arrival, they've come in with APD or there's been some concerning story and the patient's not expressing suicidal or homicidal thoughts. They seem okay in the sense that they're organized and they're able to tell me, a you know, they're able to tell me the story and they say, you cannot speak to anybody. In those situations, I call family and say, I, I cannot talk to you, but I can listen. Because you're getting like then it's in, you're in this really tricky situation of how like how do I just how do I figure out a safe disposition for this person without knowing some more information and so I'll do that too at times just call family and say I cannot say anything to you but I can listen to what you have to that's say good. concerns yeah, yeah that's good one of the things that sorry Lawrence um, that that we use exactly with what um, Dr Rosenbaum's tip was was with the Beacon team with the Veterans Affairs. So we know right away not to call and say, do you know that if this is a patient? We know that that puts up a wall. If we start asking questions, it really brings up a wall because especially that first line staff, like the people answering the phone. So they're the ones that get fired. Yeah, they're the ones that get fired. <laughs> they are very intimidated of being fired. And those are the ones where, you know, shit rolls downhill and they're the ones that are downhill that get fired for it. So the VA is one specifically we often call for because we know someone's a vet from either previous history reports. We'll just call and be like, hey, just give me a heads up. There's, you know, John Doe, he's a vet. We assume that because he's self-disclosed, but this is what he's doing. I'm just giving you a heads up. And then later, all of a sudden, we're like, oh, there's a pickup order waiting for this guy. You know, but we're not asking, like, can I speak to his provider? Is he seen here? Where is he seen? We'll just call for that. But if you know in the past because of either police reports or maybe the medicine bottle that's there that says UNM or caseman, call. Hey, I'm just wanting to give you as a heads up. I was out with this person. I think they were patient there because previously they were taking a UNM or caseman or this. Yeah. And this is what's going on. Just giving you guys a heads up. I didn't know if I had enough to take him in to the hospital today, but this is what's going on. But sorry, Lawrence, what were you going to say? Well, I was just going to kind of piggyback a little bit off of hers where she's like reaching out to the family and letting them if you get information from from a doctor or nurse, someone from, and you want to try to co not cooperate it, but find it, find a way to put it, put what you know on paper. Call the family after you've talked <laughs> spoke to them and say, hey, you know what's going on with your. Get more information from them, and if they're saying the same things the doctors are saying, that's a good thing. If they're saying, yeah, he's taking these kinds of medications, you can put that in a police work report. You can say, I spoke with the mother. The mother said he is diagnosed with schizophrenia. He's on these kind of meds, and he goes to UNM and sees this doctor. That's not giving anything away from the doctor that you talk to. That's just your your ability to put intel for the next person that's going to work with this person. That they have these things, and you got it from the family. Right. Uh, you got to be careful when you just talk to family because God only knows right. what you're going to get. <laughs> but if those two things match really well, then you know that you really have good solid information and you you know that keeps you from you know you have the information in a way to document it without saying that i heard it from a doctor say i heard it from a family member yeah very good does anybody have any questions about the confidentiality part of talking to healthcare workers anybody in tv land you have one oh, we have one in chat Okay. Are we as police officers bound by HIPAA? 
I'll start with that one and no, we are not. It just refers, refers, it refers to medical professionals. One thing that we are as law enforcement, pretty much we document society. We are just the historians. So anything that is told to us or, or put out there that we put in a report is public information. We do have some state laws that, that should protect our police reports that are directly reference medical care. So if you write a police report like this person was suicidal, I took him to the hospital and there's no crime, that shouldn't be released and should be covered under the IPRA laws, the Information Public Information Public Release Act laws. It should be protected on that. So should our lapel videos for stuff like that. But now let's say if we were responding to a call that's a suicide check and we were talking about suicide by cop and then we end up in a, a use of force where we shoot somebody that does become public because it became criminal in nature that we had to defend ourselves and that's how it's been told to me by, by lawyers on that one let's see here just read the whole thing. oh when it comes to our lapel cameras being around medical professionals and a prisoner who is in our custody and we are unable to step away good question do we not record or do we limit the recording due to possible violations since the news can impro our recordings mm -hmm. it's a great question and the short answer is it's not fully answered yet um the but the rest of it is i don't think they can ipra if it is just about medical so if you're there helping ems on a medical thing i don't think they can ipra it uh but if it becomes criminal that's where it gets gray and you guys have to have your cameras on all the time so you know, it was an interesting one we discuss this all the time because you know the the people the advocates and people living with mental illness a lot of them want it recorded go ahead all right rob the buck apd the sop gives us a little bit more latitude now in regards to uh, uh confidentiality issues so a good example is when i was dealing with bruce davis who i talked about last week who by the way is coming by highland high school now trying to find me oh i'm doing his prerogatives yeah at any rate so, but he at one point specifically said, hey, would you mind, can you turn off your recorder? Well, to me, I didn't have a problem with it because it was nothing going on that I felt I needed to protect myself by recording. So I turned it off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't have a problem. I'll turn it off for you. Because that was, he felt his confidentiality was being breached. Sure. So, and, and I think if you examine the SOP, I think it does give us more latitude in situations like that. Now, clearly, if you think it's going to be a situation where a use of force is going to emanate or, or something, or he's going to make out, he or she's going to make allegations, then you know, it's, it's incumbent upon you to take that. But I think if you read the SOP, I think it does give more latitude now about being able to turn, turn it off if somebody asks you to turn Absolutely. it off. Absolutely. No, I agree with that 100%. Yeah, that's a good point. So I'll give you a perfect example where you probably should turn off and that we are there at the fact is the sexual assault nurse examiners and then I would hope that you guys aren't back there taking a victim recording who all is back there because that would be very bad and, and can really break down that whole program for for victims but exactly like, like captain was saying if you are out with prisoners and, and you think or like you have a 16 and you're like they need to get checked for incarceritis but you're like they're gonna fight or flee I would leave it running yeah because it's gonna end up being a use of force but if, if someone's being compliant and let's say you drop them off purely and they're compliant at, at the psychiatric emergency services or 2600 Marble, and you are in the Sally port and you're like, okay, this is just the intake and you turn it off, as, as long as you think that no one's there listening, I think it's fine. 
but also, you know, that's something that APD or whatever organization out there that does recording, be it uh, belt tapes or lapel videos, it's something they take on as, as a responsibility. If they release that stuff, we can get the same fines and get sued for that because we're releasing, you know, private information. So it, it's a tricky thing and it's relatively new because recording stuff with lapel video is still pretty new in law yeah. enforcement. Yeah. So a lot will be changing. That was a great and yeah there's not a clear answer yet but i yes, think they're, they're think working on what, what might be there are certain things that they can redact yeah. take out and still issue it under ipra mm -hmm. and i think that's what they're trying to find that fine line it's so, tricky because people want it recorded you know people in the mental health community because they you know whatever reason they want everything recorded mm -hmm. but then they say well it's all recorded now what are you going to do with it so <laughs> it's sort of they can't have it both ways all the time and it makes for interesting bedfellows because now the ACLU is kind of against the lapel cameras. Which you go into someone's home for the and it's time. an invasion of privacy. Um, and and if, I, if I may dovetail on what you just said, the ACLU, and I read the position paper, this is from a couple of years ago, but you know, they even, as hard as it is to believe, argue for police officers saying they have, as police officers, you have a right to vent uh, and let's say you're in the privacy privacy of your own vehicle. Their position is that you have the absolute right to vent. And, oh, interesting. And, and, and if it, and, and if the because a lot of officers have been disciplined for using yeah. foul language, but ACLU's position is is that you as a, as a police officer have a right because you're in a very high stress job. You have a right to vent your feelings to a partner and not and not feel that that's being recorded and it's going to be used against you. Interesting. Because that just increases the stress level. So they've actually argued that on our behalf. So, I mean, I think it's a particularly germane issue because and we're digressing a bit, but you're, you're at a SWAT call, for example, and, and we had this situation come up where the SWAT sergeant is venting. It's not related directly to the call, but he's venting and he gets in trouble. And I asked, I was at a lunch with a very prominent broadcaster and I just said, I'm gonna throw this out there with no prequel, I'm not, I just want your opinion. His opinion was that was not germane to the case at hand and that sergeant should have the right to vent. And the fact that the journal put it on the front page was a violation of what he considered media ethics. But not that they, as an oxymoron, I know. But, but yet he was disciplined by the department for something that was clearly, I think, venting. And then, like you said, and I had one of the premier broadcasters in the city tell the chief that because the chief goes at the same some, some people have ethics even yeah in so, that's true Not many, there's a couple um yeah no i think that's a good point i think it's a very good point it's it's um uh, it's it's a tough one it's not a good answer yet and it's brand new um and but yeah police officers should have the right to privacy just like anybody else and so let's see, did you so let's you want to move to the next well, I wanted to ask about, about cvs so the certificate for evaluation, you guys are, are issuing something out to someone, to, to us, and it has someone's name, their address, and a brief description of where they come in. Doesn't list, you know, typically it does not list any kind of healthcare information. Just this person might be making threats to others or is collecting weapons, whatever the, the case could be. If we wanted one double check to make sure this is a legit certificate for evaluation, not someone printed this off online and faxed it to a substation, what other information and how should we go about asking you guys for that? 
asking us for what information can you give about that how would you appreciate it for officers to ask for them? whatever information we gave was what we feel is pertinent i mean but if you call and you want more information mm -hmm. like uh I, I think this brings up a good example let's say i write a c of e i'm working for unm and you say oh you didn't mention anything about history of weapons or or violence i feel like that's a reasonable thing to say yeah, tell okay. you. The way that but if you say what's his medication and dose, say you know that's not really necessary right now. So we should stay away from anything that would be strictly medical related. I I would say that the way the HIPAA reads is, so it's an emergency situation, so it's an exception to HIPAA, and and the exception says that you can share information that is pertinent to this episode of care is what it says, right? So. Um, you know, did he have a dog when he was three years old and he's 64 now? Probably not pertinent. I would say what medications is he supposed to be on? Totally pertinent. If I could jump could in the PD. I, I had uh, responded to a call uh, at, at one of the uh, our motels on university, on Central University Inn. And uh, the, uh, the, I had gotten a number for the, this guy's doctor. So I called him and he was very forthcoming with the medication, the dosage, and why he was taking it. And, and, uh, and I, you know, it just struck me, you know, his final statement was, wow, uh, good luck. When you <laughs> and it turned out okay, but uh, it was just funny. Was it for a certificate for evaluation? Is that why you're on? You know, it really wasn't. Uh, there, was, there had been some written in the past on him. But this guy had a very violent history, and, and the doctor just felt it was incumbent upon him to to warn me. So, out of curiosity, what made you decide to call the doctor? I think it was uh, the call itself, where it it uh, strongly suggested that I speak with the parents and the doctor. So I called both. And when you when you talked to the doctor, because you got a lot of information, a lot something yes. the way that you approached the doctor worked for you. Yeah. How do, did you explain why you were there? I threatened to arrest him if he. Okay. No, I. <laughs> no, I just spoke up a conversation with him. And said, "Hey, I'm 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 at this motel. I, I want to check on his welfare." He he uh, spit soup at the uh, person that asked him to leave, and I, th I think we're going to have a problem. And he was like, "Oh my God, you're out with X? Yeah, you think you're going to have a problem?" And he said he's been disinted. Uh, Kind of his disorganized, disorganized, his thinking is becoming increasingly disorganized, and uh, he's on a downward spiral. And I will be happy to write you a, a pickup order if you think it's necessary. And I said, well, let me contact him first, and, and and let me, and then I'll get back with you. I mean, so he's extremely accommodating. But I was able to bribe the guy with the actually a bottle of water. We had a nice conversation, and he cleaned the room and left. But I mean, so it worked out well, but I mean, he, he was initially very hostile, but then he de-escalated and everything turned out fine. But, you know, I, it stuck in my mind because I felt that the doctor had genuine concern about, about my safety. And, and, I, and that came across mm -hmm. with the information that he gave me, which was pertinent to the situation at hand. I mean, he didn't release anything other than what was important for me to know as a responding officer mm -hmm. you know and but it helped me tremendously on how i approached this guy and he gave me tips on how to this is what you probably should say and this is how you should probably approach it yeah exactly. and so i mean it was very helpful and i think it took a situation that could easily have become very violent to something where the guy actually says well can i give me, do you mind if i clean the room first i don't want to leave it messy
uh, no, go ahead. And you know, he laughed and everything turned out all right. But I mean, it could have been, because he certainly had the proclivity to be violent, mm -hmm. so. I think of a good example of where this becomes really nuanced because we as providers, when we, this is a legal document, right? That we're, there, we're issuing some uh, statement of why we think somebody's a risk of self to others. Where HIPAA becomes really tricky is around infectious disease, particularly HIV. Um, and so you have to have this, you know, you have to have this uh, uh, enormous amount of documentation when you're releasing information, specifically allowing, you know, you to release that if somebody's HIV positive. And it's completely separate usually on a checklist when you're having a patient uh, fill out a release of information. So in, in my residency, I had a patient who was HIV positive who would, would spit on um, officers a lot. Um, or he, you know, he was uh, using drugs, unfortunately, and would sometimes have open wounds. And I found that was important to communicate in a document that this person had a tendency to spit on, on, on individuals, had a, an infectious disease, and oftentimes needed, you needed to wear protective, you know, to, to gloves and whatnot. Um, now, I'm sure that could have been taken, you know, if that person had the wherewithal to, to say this was a breach of my medical information, that probably would have been successfully taken to court but in I Georgia in Georgia <laughs> in Georgia but I think that you know so that's that's an issue like and if that person hadn't been the type of individual to be really aggressive and spit on people or have open wounds that would not be pertinent information to put in that's the C3 example, yeah. but yeah that there's there's a real nuance to it I think yeah. and so I, for me when I'm writing C3s it's I'm wanting to make sure that both the patient and the people bringing them in are going to stay as safe as possible without releasing so much information that is uncomfortable yeah, no, I think that's a great example. Mm -hmm. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I, I'm just wanting to, well, one thing I want to point out is this, about how Captain was saying, I think him calling and explaining the reason why he's out there went a long way. I mean, it sounds like you got a lot of intel from this doctor that helped you on that call. But I think one thing that at least I often get from, from different officers is they don't quite know what they can and can't ask for. And then they maybe feel a little intimidated calling the hospital because they're not sure of if there's a certain way that you should ask for like information or certain things like keywords that we should maybe stay away from asking that might just put up a barrier. I mean, I think saying, you know, as an emergency situation, this is an exception to HIPAA. I mean, I think if you can say that rather than say like you can violate HIPAA, if you say to somebody you can violate HIPAA, it feels like it's the same thing, but you're saying violate HIPAA and people think that you're saying they're, that you're, they're trying to be pressured into violating the law or something right. and could get scared. And that could be, I that's your point. This is an exception to HIPAA as an emergency situation, you know. Um, Should you say you believe it to be an exception? See, I, I think one of the ways to do it is... It's like talking down to you though by telling you, yeah, hey, this is, I'd be afraid of telling a doctor that. This, this is, is an exception. I'd say, I can, the way I read this, it, it looks like it could be an exception to the, but that's me trying no, to... I know, I mean, if your intuition told you that that would work yeah. better. I would say that the best way to ask would be, um, you know, to maximize the safety of the patient and the officers, we need to know X, Y, and Z, mm -hmm. or it might be helpful to know. Or is there anything you think that can help keep this safe and calm? Anything about what he's going through that we can, you know, are there triggers, hooks, that kind of thing that we can uh, look out for? And then um, Frank Baca asked, would it, would it be fine to ask for the number of certificates for evaluations? that uh, an, an individual has had in the past? It's an interesting question, isn't it? I mean, I, I don't see why not. Uh, is that helpful information? It might, it might be if you're looking at kind of like 
I'm just thinking about the case that the bug just said. Is it if you were wondering how are the outcomes like? Is it known to fight with law enforcement when they go like yeah, like you know, have they had a have they ever been issued this before? You know, is there anything we should be worried about because of that? Yeah, that's a great. That's a great question. I know we don't track that information. That's not tracked anywhere in our. I would be if you ran them through Tiburon, you'd get more information that way. Here's yeah. just, what do you guys do with a C4E? It gets faxed to you, and then what is done with that document? We bring we it turn back. back into you guys. Right, so, because you said this, somebody said it's public information. <laughs> I, I do not believe that that is public information. So, we used to No, but there's it. a police report created yeah. that the person was okay. taken to the police report. Might be right, so the police report. report. Yeah. This is a pickup order right here. And so... <laughs> but uh so i mean what goes on what's in here goes into my report right so then your report if that's public record then that is but not right. the c3 right. right not the c3 <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's just uh, just so that we're clear it, about what we're saying they're before, written by doctors so they're hard to understand yeah. they're hard to, you can't read them because <laughs> before some people used to tag those power. in as evidence too see that's why i don't oh really I don't send it, in. it used to be that like you would have like a toshi if you like the inventory to car or whatever you would submit with your police report. At least for me, I'd get a CV, I'd write my police report, I'd put the case number and send it in. And that way it stays with it. But if someone is, is that we were talking about before with IPRA requesting that, and the pure basis of that police call was for medical, APD or any law enforcement or government agency should not be releasing that. Mm -hmm. Because the pure interest of the government on that was for medical. And so there was no other interest that would make that a, a public safety matter. So for us, the C4E is scanned in um, because that's the transport document. Just like if the patient had been brought in by EMS, the EMS run sheet gets scanned into our system too. But we don't we don't track that in any way. But we consider that important. And when I so say somebody comes to PES and I evaluate them and I think they need to stay involuntarily, the C4E goes, sits on top of that legal documentation because it's just a continuation of the legal documentation. And it's scanned into their medical. Record. Yes, absolutely. But we don't track it in any way. Yeah, we don't have like a. And the only other tips I wanted to definitely um, bring up for us to, to translate to, to medical providers, and it goes back to the idea of, like I said before, we hate to go to places where people are like, arrest this person. Like, why? Because they did this. Don't act like we know medicine. Don't go there and be like, this person needs this medication because they're this, this, and this. We are experts in safety and we are experts in describing human behavior. I will say that nonstop. That's what we're trained in and we see it all the time. That is what we should focus on. I was out there. This is what their living conditions look like. This is how they were a danger themselves or others. And this is their behavior. And then if you wonder, if you want to add why you think it might be behavioral health, add it. But add it like they took medication, they self-disclosed, or their behavior was not consistent with the norm that we deal with, which is probably the most basic way to, to put it, but keep it very general and focus on our specialty because you guys use that in it. I mean, we're not the specialists when it comes to making diagnosis or treating this. So that's why we're bringing them in there. So sometimes it's hard not to get in that because it could be like, I just took CIT class. And this person has schizophrenia and I'm bringing them in here because of that. One is that's not a reason to bring someone to the hospital is because they have a mental illness. It has to be their behaviors. And that is what we should focus on. And keeping it, the, the term is like person-centered, but trying to keep that person-centered like, hey, I'm here to help this person. It's not criminal justice related. And watch out for use of police jargon or using medical jargon that you don't know. Um, it's an embarrassing one. I won't mention who it is, but they're no longer with the department. But 
<laughs> Do you remember we went up to Santa Fe uh -huh. and we met, or not Santa Fe, Vegas? Okay. So we met with like the director of the the Behavioral Health Institute, and there was a certain detective kept using some medical term. What was the term? I forgot what it was. I know. And everyone we kept looking. Was. Yeah. <laughs> everyone kept looking around. And we're like, oh, we just lost all credibility because he was trying to talk medicine when we had a doctor there. We just sounded like idiots. <laughs> but you know, it happens. And if you don't know the right term, just you don't, you know, if you say the wrong term, just say, oh, I'm sorry. I'm trying to explain this. Just explain yourselves to it. We don't have to know the jargon. Yeah, and don't use 10 code. I'm sure you guys know that. <laughs> um, and also doctors, on the other hand, when they get anxious or nervous or rushed, they tend to use lingo too. So you can tell them, I don't understand. What, what does that mean? Just ask them. They'll tell you. Um, because... Otherwise, you one person's pretending to understand, and the other person's it just gets nowhere. So people, what the doctors want are behaviors. You know what has actually happened. So if you come in with somebody and Matt says, "Oh, this person has schizophrenia; they're having auditory hallucinations, and uh, you know they're disorganized," I, I I think what you know that doesn't help me at all. Uh, but if he comes in and says, "This guy was up all night, didn't sleep," is his, his parents said that he was talking to the walls and that he was uh, spray painting nonsensical phrases all over the place. That gives me a lot of information. Basically the same amount of information, but better and useful. Yeah, the one we hear a lot is agitated and disorganized. Oh, yeah. Without like a, a real good description of what that means. And so that can be, you know, the mom who just discovered that her son died and the schizophrenic who's, you know, had you know, a decompensated psychosis. So, it, like, really, it just really ranges. And so to have, hearing that description of what somebody's been like is so, so much more helpful. Yeah, as it's, concrete as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, this is one that comes up a lot. So and then it comes up a lot, too, with suicidality. Oh, yeah. this person's suicidal. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't help me at all until you say they left a note, they told this person, they actually uttered these words, or I heard them say that kind of stuff. That's why it comes up that we really promote, if you are requesting someone to the hospital and you are using this with your law enforcement powers, that you yourself take them. Paramedics are looking at a whole different uh, uh, continuum. They're looking at you know, emergency medicine. They're not gonna translate the same danger cues or threats that you That's guys true. see. So make sure you guys are either taking them yourselves or you are making the effort to contact that intake nurse at the ER or wherever they're going. You guys have